Hi there, welcome to Glenlyden Baptist Church's podcast network. We're glad you can join us today. If you'd like more information on the church, please visit us on our website, www.gebc.org.nz. We hope you enjoy the pod. What the heck's going on up here right now, right? I've got no idea what I'm doing. It's because I got up at half past one this morning. Did anyone, did anyone else get up at half past one this morning? Oh, look, there's a few of you. Some of you got up for kids, though, right? I got up because I'm just silly. Here we go. Hey, um, thanks for those encouraging stories. And, um, you know, uh, Christine, when you're talking about the dentist, there'll be a, there'll be a generation here that would... When, we, when you hear the word dentist, fear strikes your heart. Because you remember when you were at primary school that, that the dentist would be with their foot paddling the drill, right, as they're going into your mouth. And there was no injections to numb your mouth or anything. It was just raw drill, and in they went. And the smoke used to pour out of your mouth as they were drilling into your tooth. I mean, it is fear, right? There's a generation don't understand what I'm talking about. You don't know because you go in, you get numbed, you're half asleep, and they do your teeth. It's a wonderful thing. Day off school, work, whatever. But not in the old days. Man, when they used to come to the classroom, they, they would call out your name because it was your turn to go to the dentist. And that, that was when, they, when you could see them coming, you tried to run and hide somewhere. It was fear of its worst. It was terrible. So, hey, look, a couple of things just before we get going. Um, uh, Sarah sends her um, greetings today. Um, all my family are at Elam Church this morning. God, don't strike them dead this morning. They're at Elam because Fraser, my second son, his wife Jade, who's a children's pastor there um, and has been the children's pastor there for three years, is finishing up today. So they're there to support her as she finishes up. So they just send their greetings uh, to you this morning. Um, and the, the second thing is, you know... Uh, I did receive a lot of emails this week from the Sunday night last week um, in terms of what God had done in people's lives. And, uh, you know, there's a number of you here and stuff happened and you could talk about it, I know. But, you know, there was a really special evening. We're going to run another one on November the 19th. Um, It was just so special. There was no preaching, no nothing. It was just sitting in the presence of God and God did some miraculous stuff. It was so, so exciting. Um, so um, I got up at 1.30 because um, the Spirit woke me up and said, your message stinks, you need to rewrite it. <laughs> and uh, so I did that, and I got here this morning, and I, I went through it once, and time seemed to go fast, and um, the Spirit said, yeah, you're still not right, but we're just going to flow and see what happens, okay? <laughs> Are we good with that? Yeah. All right. Hey, um, no access. No access. You know, some of you may have experienced those moments in life where you've been to an event or a, or a place and, and you haven't been allowed access. You've had no access to it, right? Um, it could be like driving home at 10 o'clock after an elders meeting and trying to get on the on-ramp on the motorway, but the Ministry of Works and their great wisdom decided to shut the access way so you had no access to the motorway. They didn't tell you that 200 yards before. No, no, no. They waited till you were at the on-ramp, you know. So, you know, sometimes you don't have access. You turn up a road and there's no access. Um, If you go through the big cathedrals in Europe sometimes, 
especially the Catholic ones. A lot of places in those cathedrals are roped off. You don't have access to anything. In fact, some of those churches, you have to pay money to go in. And if you don't pay the money, you don't have any access to that space. Well, if you lived back in the time of Jesus, in fact, even a little bit before the time of Jesus, unless you were Jewish, and I don't think many of us here are, none of you would have had access to the temple. I want to show you some pictures of the temple today. A couple of things I want you to understand. So this is a, a picture of what they suspected the temple in Jerusalem would have looked like in Herod's time. Herod rebuilt the temple. Um, it was completed in AD 62 to 67, somewhere in there, which was a real shame because in AD 70, the Romans demolished the thing. Um, and it's quite beautiful, right? Um, but it got demolished by the Romans. But this is what it looked like. Now, in here, like if you look around the outside of the temple down in here, these are the outer courts through here. So these are the places where the Gentiles, that's where we were allowed to be. You couldn't get any closer to going inside than that. You were on the outside of the temple. And there were signs that were preventing the Gentiles from going in. And basically the sign said something like this. Enter at your own risk. Basically you're going to die if you come into this place. You are not welcome in here. On the inside of the temple... Oh, I'll go back, guys. Okay, so on the inside of the temple here, you see this little crossed area here? So that's the court of the women. That's where the women were allowed to go into the temple. Over here on this side here, this was the temple of the priests, or the court of the priests in here. Um, and there is the altar of um, where they used to, the altar of the burnt offering and the utensils where they did all of the, the rituals and stuff there, ceremonies that they had to go through. And the place in between, this place right in here, is the court of men. So the men were allowed into the undercover pit, and they could stand and watch the priests doing their thing all day long. They could watch them at work. Somewhere, and this is really quite interesting, is a set of steps that go up here, just on the inside here, a set of steps. At the top of that, often there would be musicians there, um, and they might be singing the psalms and doing stuff like that. So there was worship, but you, depending on who you were, you had limited access to the temple. Right? It gets even worse than that, really. So um, there you see that's... Uh, oh, gosh, stop pushing the wrong buttons, guys. Okay, all right, here we go. All right. So that's the uh, court of the women there. The men were under here. There's the steps going up where the musicians would have been. The court of the priests is in here. And in here is the uh, most holy place and the holy of holies. So... Um, this area here, let me show you this, a closer one here. Um, so this is the most holy place. So this is where the priests, they would do the burnt offering, um, do what they needed to do here, come in and then make the offerings to God in this area in here. And there's a little blue thing in here. That's the curtain. The curtain that separated the most holy place from the holy of holies. So the curtain went from the floor, uh, from the ceiling right down to the floor. No one could go in there except the Most High Priest. And the Most High Priest could only go in there on Yom Kippur, which was the Day of Atonement, once a year. He could go in there and make atonement for his sins and for the sins of Israel. But only the High Priest. No other priest could go in there. It's fascinating. So what's interesting about this 
is that the curtain was torn, right? You remember in Luke 23, 44, you remember the story where Jesus um, is dying on the cross and it goes like this. It was about noon and darkness came over the whole land and until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. It was torn in two. And when that happened, when Jesus died and the curtain was torn, that gave us this unbelievable access to God that was, we could never have before. Before we had no access, now we have access. A fresh, unparalleled access to God. The outer court of the Gentiles, which flows around here, was nullified when the curtain was torn. Because Jesus was drawing all nations together by faith. The court of the women in here was nullified by Jesus' death and the tearing of the curtain. Because Jesus was making men, women, Jews and Greek equal heirs in God. The court of the priests was nullified by the death of God and by the tearing of the curtain. Because Christ now is consecrating all Christians as a holy priesthood, which we read in 1 Peter 2.9. And so the death of Jesus gave access to everybody who would believe in Christ to the holy of holies. And that's the access we have today. Unlimited, fresh, unparalleled access to the Father. Isn't that exciting? Did that help? It's going to help because we're going into Hebrews. So we're going into Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verses 14 to 15, and 5, verses 1 to 10. If you want to open your Bible, um, we're going to dial in there. And we're going to pray because I need all the help we can get. Let's go. Father, we just um, we want to thank you for your word this morning. Um, Lord, thank you for the reminder of, of, of the temple and uh, the Old Testament rituals for purification, Lord, that no longer stand true for us. Because we have access through Christ to, to God the Father. Father, help us as we just have a look at this word today to understand what you're saying to us more and more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read to you um, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 4 to 15. A couple of things I want you to listen for in here. Um, listen for the phrase, great high priest... And listen to hold firmly to the faith that we profess, all right? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, who is Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet... He did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The first thing I wanted you to notice in there, I wanted you to notice this idea of, um, so let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. What is this faith that we profess? What is this thing that we're holding on to? The book of Hebrews starts by declaring exactly what that is. 
Hebrews 1, 1 to 4, it says this. It says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in this last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. This is beautiful. Listen to this. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. After He had provided purification for sin, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. This faith we hold on to, this faith we profess, is faith in Christ, who was the representation of God the Father. If you know Christ, you know God the Father. He's the one who came and dwelt among us. In John 1, 14, he dwelt among us. He lived as us. He died, was crucified and died. He was buried. He rose again and is seated at the right hand of the Father. This is the faith that we profess, the faith that we hold on to. And what's going on here in Hebrews is the writer is helping the listeners to understand that they are not to let go of their faith. They're not to go back to the ritual systems of the temple. Because now they have access in a way to God. Because the curtain has been torn through Christ's death and resurrection. And he's encouraging them to hold on to that faith. Just as I encourage you to hold on to that faith. And then the second thing I asked you to notice in that passage was this whole idea of Jesus, our great high priest. I reckon we should just have a quick look at the qualifications for a high priest back in those days. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1 and 3 outlines these um, qualifications. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as sacrifices for the sin of the people. The position of high priest in ancient Israel started with the choosing of Moses. And Moses was to represent God to the nation of Israel, to his fellow Hebrews. But Moses never became the high priest. And maybe the reason is something like this. I don't know if this is strictly true, but this is what, I'm, this is what I've landed on. Exodus 4, 10 to 13. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never been. And I'm not even now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied. My words get tangled. Lord, please send someone else. And so this is where the point where I think God gets fed up with Moses, right? And he appoints Aaron to do the speaking. Exodus 4.16, Aaron will be your spokesperson to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. Well, more than a year later, when the Israelites had, had gone through the Exodus, they were out in the wilderness. They'd been out there for about a year. Aaron becomes the first official high priest of Israel. 
Now, to be a high priest in Israel, you had to be a descendant of Aaron. You had to come through that lineage. And you had to be without disability or defect. A broken arm would disqualify you from becoming a high priest. Any defect in your body at all would disqualify you from becoming a high priest. And there were strict rules for being a high priest. You must never, never leave your hair uncombed. Did everyone comb their hair this morning? You know you are the priesthood of all believers, right? You need to comb your hair in the morning. Okay, you must never leave his hair uncombed. Never tear his clothing. Never go near dead bodies, not even those of your own parents. And the high priest could only marry a virgin from his own clan. No divorcees, no recovered prostitutes, no widows allowed. All of this so that the priests would not bring shame on God's holy name by their conduct. They were to stand out above everyone else. They were representatives of God himself. Hebrews um, chapter 5, verse 2 points out that the high priest must be able to deal gently and kindly with those who are ignorant and those who have gone astray. And the reason for this is because the high priest is a sinner just like everyone else. And so the high priest is no different. He needs atonement. He needs forgiveness just like everyone else. And because he's a sinner, that's why he's been asked to deal gently with other people. Not to stand above others, but to deal gently with them. So on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, that one day in the year when the priest would enter the Holy of Holies, he would enter in there and he would lay his hands on the head of the animal and he would say this, O God, I've committed iniquity and transgressed and sinned before thee. I and my house and the children of Aaron, thy holy people, God forgive, I pray, the iniquities and transgressions and sins which I have committed and transgressed and the sins before thee, I and my house. That's what he would say. It's a little bit like being a pastor. When I'm driving here this morning, this is what I was doing. I was praying the blood of Christ over all of you. And for those who aren't here, I was praying, praying for the blood of Christ over you, for the forgiveness of sin, for the hope that you have in Christ. This is something that parents should do for their families and their children, as each day pray over their children for the forgiveness of sins. This is what the priest did. It's interesting when you start to look at this high priest and the lineage that comes through Aaron, when you look at Jesus, you begin to realize actually that Jesus is not of the same lineage as Aaron. Yet he's our great high priest. Yet he doesn't come from the line of Aaron. He comes from the line of David, which is um, a kingly lineage. And yet we see that Jesus meets the qualifications of a high priest. For in Hebrews 5, 5 through to 10, it says, In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. In other words, Jesus didn't try or want to become the high priest, but it was God who gave it to him. God said to him, 
And remember this, you are my son, today I become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. These two verses, so you are my son, today I become your father, that comes from Psalm chapter 2. And that quotation was used when they were anointing king. Psalms chapter 2 looks forward to the day when Jesus would become king. And it's interesting that it's quoted here because Jesus isn't just our high priest. He's our king. He's our king. Because the second one which says, you're our priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Well, this one was quoted earlier on in Hebrews 1.13, but it declares that Jesus is not just king, but it declares him to be the priest forever. In other words, there will be no other priest. You don't have to come to the pastor for the forgiveness of sin. You don't have to go to a room to confess your sins to someone else. Jesus is the king, and he is the high priest, and he is the one you go to, the only one you go to, for the forgiveness of your sin. And he will be the high priest forever. He will never be replaced. He will never die out. He is the one you go to. Hebrews 5, 7-9. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard. Because of his reverent submission, son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus, even though he was the son of God, if you remember the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's praying, and, the, and it's so intense, it says that his, his sweat was like drops of blood. And he's praying to God to take this cup from him. The cup of suffering that he's about to face. And he says, take this cup from me, not, your will, but your, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus cries out and the answer to his prayer is no. I will not take this cup from you. How many of you have prayed, seeking answers for prayer, for illness, whatever it is, and the answer is no? It's important to remember that Jesus' answer was no when he prayed to God the Father for the cup to be taken. He understands you he understands what it is to live in a place of pain. He knows. He knows what we're going through. He knows how we're tested. You remember the onslaught of Satan in his life for 40 days when he was in the desert? Jesus knows what it is to go through trials. It was the experience of suffering that made Jesus ready to act on our behalf as the great high priest. Because he's able 
to sympathize with us. He understands us. He learned obedience through suffering. And his obedience to the will of the Father made him the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So, so how do you respond to this? The scriptures have called us to respond to this. It says, firstly, number one, it says, hold on then. If Jesus is our king, if he's our high priest, and he's that forever and we've got direct access to him, then hold on to the faith you've got. Even when the answer to prayer is no. Hold on. Don't let go. This point is driven home in Hebrews time and time again. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Hebrews 3, 6, but Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Hebrews 3, 14, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. Now Hebrews 4.1, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Hold on. Don't let go. And then the second thing which we are encouraged in is that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence and boldness. So different to the mosaic system that we see up there, where no one was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies. Family, you can enter it anytime you like. You have unlimited access to God the Father, because Jesus is our great high priest. I'll finish by telling you a story about a, um, a young girl called Sarah, or a young lady. She lived in a small suburban community. I'm going to tell you this story because, um, you know, the Bible goes on to talk about the priesthood of all believers in, in 1 Peter. It talks about us being priests. We are the priesthood of all believers. And so when I think of Jesus, the great high priest, and the access we have to him, what does it mean for me now to live with that knowledge? What should my life look like because of that? The story tells it best. Sarah lived in a small urban community. She was not a priest in any traditional sense or in any way at all, nor did she hold any formal religious qualifications. But her life reflected the priesthood that is described in Hebrews 5, 1 to 10. You see, Sarah was a primary school teacher, and she approached her work with the same dedication and passion that any priest or pastor would in a church. Each morning when she walked into a classroom, she was greeted by a sea of eager, cheeky faces. These children were her congregation, and her classroom was her sanctuary. Much like the high priests of old who were chosen to represent the people before God, Sarah saw herself as a representation of hope, a representation of Jesus in that place, a representation of knowledge and love 
to her students. She understood that her role was not just about imparting some kind of knowledge into their lives, but it was about praying for these young souls, nurturing them, instilling godly values into them, helping them discover their unique gifts and their potential in life. Sarah was known for her unwavering patience. Her willingness to listen to her students' concerns, her ability to guide them through the challenges they faced, was second to none. She saw the weaknesses and vulnerabilities of each one. Just as the high priests were called to recognize the weaknesses of those they served. And like the high priests, Sarah interceded on behalf of the children. She interceded for her students, often finding a quiet moment somewhere in the day where she could just pray. And she would advocate for their needs before God the Father. One day, a, a struggling student named Jake came to her, tears in his eyes. He felt lost and discouraged. He'd, he'd come from a broken family. And he'd been told when he was growing up that he wouldn't amount to anything. That he'd be no good. Shouldn't waste his time even trying. And so he felt discouraged, broken, convinced he would never excel at anything in life. But Sarah, wow, with the compassion in her heart, she spent extra time with Jake. She prayed with him and offered encouragement and support. She helped him to believe in himself, to believe in God. Just as the high priests of old offered hope to those in need. And over time, Jake's life began to turn around. His confidence began to grow and his abilities improved. And he went on to achieve great things in life, not just in school, but in everything he did. You see, Sarah's impact extended far beyond her classroom. She continued to uplift and pray and inspire her students. Sarah's life embodied the principles of what it means to be in the priesthood described in Hebrews 5.1.10. She may not have worn priestly robes or performed traditional religious rituals, but she served as a beacon of light, hope and love and guidance to those she came in contact with. She showed all those around her that the essence of priesthood lies in our willingness to serve one another, to nurture our faith, to uplift one another, to pray for one another, regardless of whether we have a formal title or not. Each one of us, like Sarah, has the power to be a priest in our own way bringing hope and healing to those in need within the church and beyond the church. And so the encouragement I get out of this today and the thing I'm reminded to do today is to remember who Jesus is, King and High Priest, to remember that I have access to Him at any time and any place and that I can go confidently to Him because he has forgiven my sins and he has forgiven yours. And the second thing I'm reminded is that I 
can be like a priest to other people. Encouraging them, whether it's in the workplace, on the sporting field, in the classroom, wherever it is, you can be that to someone else. Let's pray. Thanks again for joining with us today. If you'd like to know more information on the church or reach out to one of the pastors, please visit our website www.gebc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day.